Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. You've noticed, as I have, I'm sure, that the older folks get, the older folks get, the more they talk about the past instead of the future. We pick up our grandson, Henry, occasionally from daycare and get him in the car and ask him about his day. What did you do today at school? He has a hard time remembering what he did at school. He, he remembers some. He tells us some. But his first question is, where are we going? Going down to Pop's house? What are we doing? What's next? He wants to know what's next instead of what's been. And the older we get, we talk about more what's been than what is coming. And so I wonder if we do that because the past was the best us that we, rem- we remember. I wonder if it's because the future us, we have more doubts and concerns about than the past selves, our past selves. I wonder if that's the case. The sad part about it, though, is where we look in the past, we dwell in the past and allow the past to consume us to the extent that we get stuck there, as I often say, for days that turn into decades. And we look up later and think, how did I get here? I didn't intend to get here, didn't, didn't, didn't intend to be dragging this albatross with me again and again, over and over. How do I get out? How do I get unstuck? Well, turn to John chapter 4 today. We're going to look at this idea of dealing with our past and getting unstuck from our past. This is a story you'll, you'll be familiar with of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well and the conversation he has about her or with her about her past and how she is delivered from that and moves on. Verse 7 through verse 30 together. Follow along with me, if you will, of John chapter 4. When a Samaritan woman came near to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to to draw water. He told her, Go back and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship, must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet 
A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out from the town and made their way toward him. Now, four things today I want us to, to see if we can glean from this text about getting unstuck from our past. The first of which is this, is we've got to realize the past is already known by God. The past is already known by God. Look at 16 to 18. He told her, go back, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you had no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. The fact is, and he, he unfolds her past to her, and says, what you've said is quite true. Every secret that we think is kept from man is never kept from God. He knows every, every, every sinew of our body, every hair on our head, and every secret in our heart. Knows everything that we, we keep from others, he already knows. Um, whether it's about our past or otherwise, he already knows those things. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our vulnerabilities. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Notice that this conversation is just between the two of them, but it's, it's a revelation from him uh, that brings about a confession from her. Uh, it's, it's this conversation that's going between the two of them. The Lord is, is, uh, is honest with her in this situation, and he will never not be honest with you, either about himself or about you. He'll never not be honest with you. He will always speak the truth. He'll always reveal the truth to you, both about ourselves and about himself to us as well. When the truth comes to light, our best response is always an honest admission of our own past, our own failures, and our own sin. We'll see a little later about her public uh, confession, but um, this, this is a, a confession of her own choosing, a conversation of her own choosing about water and about the well and about her past and how he, he, he speaks to her to reveal that to her. But it's a private, private confession of, of her own sin and, our, and her own past. It's something that we, when God calls us and calls us out and exposes us, that it's not an option to run and hide because, as I said, he knows us well anyway. It's, whether, it's, whether it's dealing with our own salvation or dealing with our own maturity, with our own salvation, we've got to admit that we're a sinner before we can come, come and be saved by him. When our own, as it relates to our own maturity, we've got to admit that we're not all that and we've got issues that we've got to deal with before we can... Let the past go and step into what he has for us. Step into the next story of our life, the next page that he wants to turn for us. But our past, all of it, good and bad, is already known by him. That's the first step we need to know. The second is this, is the past requires an honest response. 
It requires an honest response. Look at verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. I can see that you're a prophet. This, this woman's response is, it, she's privately exposed, basically. And her response is pretty, pretty telling. She, in essence, is saying, I can tell you're, you're a, you are a religious man. I'm religious too. And in doing so, she diverts the conversation away from her own failures, her own past, her own, her own lies to the Lord, seemingly, uh, or, or indiscretions. And she tries to divert the conversation into a direction that makes her look a little better, look a little stronger in front of him. You ever try to do that with God? Me too. We don't want to come to grips with the fact that what we're, of what we're not. So we'll, we'll paint the conversation by way of prayer, by way of conversation with, with others about him, by way of our attendance at church, by way of service that we, we give to the Lord at church or in some, some other ministry. And try and make ourselves look better when, in all, in all honesty, we're a mess. We're, we're, as the scripture says, full of dead men's bones. We're, we're all in various states of brokenness. But her, her response is telling. She brings up her traditions and her rituals. What Jesus was looking for from her was honesty and transparency. She didn't give him that. Her past was suddenly and completely exposed. And rather than coming clean, she tries to divert the conversation, as I said. Get this, though. Always with God and usually with others. Honesty and transparency is our best vehicle forward with him. As I said a moment ago, it's because he already knows that in the first place. And because he already knows that, why not, why not just come clean with him and be honest with him and transparent before him? And that's usually the best idea with others as well, assuming that it's an age-appropriate conversation of you know, you know, a person's maturity or immaturity or how deeply you know them in, in terms of how honest you can be. But that's usually the case, the best case with others as well. Let's just be honest and transparent with each other about what we are and what we're not. Because here's the reality. God already knows it, and most folks can already see it, whether, whether what we're telling them is, is legit or not about ourselves. But he's, that's, that's usually the best policy for us is honesty and transparency with him. Because as I said, we all have a boatload of brokenness to bring, and, and, and God knows that. And as I say, others can usually recognize that as well. So... What has been your response to God asking you to walk away from your past and walk closer with him? I wonder how we respond to that consistently. I wonder if, if some of us are living off of our parents' coattails, spiritually speaking. I wonder if, if some of us are, are living in light of that last youth, great youth retreat that we went on or in light of that last great mission trip that we were a part of. And I wonder if we are living our spiritual existence from experience to experience. To experience. And what happens in between those experiences, whether they're five years apart or 105 years apart, is the mundane, the part that we don't want to deal with honestly and, transpa and transparently before him because we don't like those valleys. We don't like those places that, that, are, that when we're honest about ourselves, we're not with him what, the way we should be with him. We're not with others the way we, we should be with him. I wonder if, if those, those types of things keep our past in the past and keep, and we allow by doing that and living in that way, we allow the enemy to keep dredging that up and say, this is who you were and it's who you are. And so you're always going to be, this is who you were. It's who you are. It's who you're always going to be. I wonder if, if, if those valleys in between, in between the, the, the mountaintop experiences that we've had with them are the valleys that, that keep, keep the past dredging up in our lives and keep us ever attuned to it and never moving beyond it. Keep, keeping us stuck in those places. 
it requires an honest response from us, our past does. It's already known by God, requires an honest response. Thirdly, our past makes transformation necessary. The, our past makes transformation necessary. Look at, if you will, at verses 20 to 24 with me. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you claim, you Jews claim the place where we worship must be in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his, his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. You Samaritans, he says to her, worship what you do not know. In essence, he's saying, you can't see that your problem is not where you worship, but whom you worship. Your, your, your exposure, your, your lack of exposure is not allowing you to see that truth. Jesus was exposing her legalism and telling her that it's not the mountain or the city of Jerusalem that matters. But what matters is worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. And that can be done anywhere. It doesn't have to be done in a church. It doesn't have to be done uh, in, in, a, in a religious setting at all. In fact, as I've shared with you, before some of the deepest times I've ever spent with the Lord or with the drone of a tractor <laughs> or on my lawnmower or sitting in my office upstairs here mornings asking God what I need to be sharing with you and he shares it with me and I my takeaway is whew, that's some pretty cool stuff and I, I love worship here, and I hope you do too. But I hope this is not your only exposure. I hope this is, not, I hope this is just the icing on an already pretty good cake for you. That's what he's talking about, in worshiping him in spirit and in truth. He says that, that, that the place doesn't matter, the, the setting doesn't matter, but, but uh, to worship in spirit and in truth. It's, all, it's also telling you, notice that he tells her here, you worship what you do not know. That's a telling phrase. He's saying it's not about the location, it's not about the church, not about the songs, not about the sermon, not about the ritual, not about the traditions. It's about me. You want to worship me, you can worship me anywhere and in any setting. Uh, and if it's, if it's about him, then it's not about how we're perceived by others. That We have to be honest and transparent before him and before others. Uh, the freedom to hear, the freedom to feel, the freedom to respond to the Spirit, and... Uh, and our worship in him is spirit and in truth. And this truth is our security, our boundaries that, that God puts on our worship. Uh, authentic spirit and truth worship, though, is transformational. It's something that has little, in this setting on Sunday morning, has little to do with either John or me. Your worship is what God wants it to be in your life because of you and him, not John and me. It, it could be, in fact, it could be... Well, it is oftentimes a couple of flunkies trying, trying to do our best to be an usher. I'm not talking about an usher that sees people. I'm talking about an usher that takes people to a holy place and says, there it is. Go get it. Our, our, our best role as leaders is, is, is as bringers that bring folks to a holy place and say, go get that holiness. Go seek it for yourself. Go find it. Um, it's between you and him. It's not between 
a church in you or leaders in you or staff people in you or a friend in you or your spouse in you or as I said a moment ago on your your parents' coattails or or anything else. It's it's about you and him. And your worship is either meaningful in spirit and truth or it's about ritual and tradition and legalism oftentimes. And he he demands for us spirit and truth. I, I encourage you to seek the abandonment of the spirit of God in your heart but yet Allow yourself to worship according to the truth of his word and, and, and how his word guides us and creates the, the lanes, more or less, for us to worship in. Finally, the past is already known by God. It requires an honest response. It makes transformation necessary, but the past finally needs to be left there. The past needs to be left there. Look at verses 28 to 30. He says there, Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Leaving her water jar, he says in verse 28, the woman went back to the town. This woman is likely leaving a jar full of water, not a jar that's empty of water. We, we can see that by his conversation with her in verses 11 and 12. Uh, you have nothing to draw water with. 10, he says... If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asked you to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In essence, you've got a jar full of dead water. I would have, would have given you water that's alive. So her jar at that point is probably already full. And she leaves a full jar of water, the very reason she went to the well in the first place, leaves it sitting there to go back to town and tell the story of what, what happened. Uh, real encounters with God will have that kind of effect in your life. It'll make you forget things that you thought were important. It'll make you forget things that you thought were, were relevant, things that, that you thought were a, b- a bigger part of you than what they should have been. In telling her story, she at least partially reveals her past. She says, come, come see a man, come hear a man that told me everything I ever did. She, she, she isn't revealing all the details of her past, but she's revealing enough details of her past where they can probably fill in the blanks themselves, knowing her, knowing her life and her past and her history. She talks about that in verse 29. But her encounter with Jesus, and she refers to him, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one? In fact, I think it is. It's her encounter caused her to totally refocus and walk away from the past. What's the lesson there? The lesson there is this. That true repentance, true repentance is about two things. It's about confession, and it's about action. It's about confession in the sense that here she is telling this story to expose herself to, to, to create a sense of honesty and transparency about herself, not only just to Jesus at the well, but to the townsmen and townswomen that she talked to, revealing a greater honesty and transparency about herself, confessing that she is not what, she, what they perceive her to be. And it's about action in terms of, you see her leaving the water, leaving the past, leaving her legalism, leaving, leaving her former self and walking in this new way, leaving all that behind and retelling an honest and life-changing account about this encounter with Jesus that she had. As a result, many of her townspeople became believers as well. We see that in verses 39 to 42. You can read the rest of the story there, as Paul Harvey would say. Many of them are, are, are come out to, to see this guy, and they come to know him as a result of that, uh, 39 to 42. As we wrap up, I've got a couple of observations I want you to take away, the first of which is this, is that our past is just that. It's past. It's gone. You can't reclaim it. You can't relive it. You can't walk in the laurels of it. You can't defeat it on your own. We should, though, learn from it. 
but not relive it and continue to, continue to be wounded by it. That's a choice we make. God don't want us stuck there. He don't want us living in the wounded past that says, this is who you are, this is who you're going to be, it's as good as it's ever going to get for you. He doesn't want us living in that place. He wants us to leave our past in the past. Listen to, uh, follow along with me with Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. It says this, Paul's Paul writing the Philippian church. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's saying, in essence, let me learn to be a believer who leaves the past in the past. And he says in verse 14, straining toward the future, doing whatever it takes to get to work to the place you've designed for me to be, the place you've called for me to be, not who I used to be. My best self is not who I used to be. My best self is who you're conforming me and transforming me into being. Help me strain to get to that place, I think is what Paul is saying. Then I don't want you to leave here without knowing this, that every sin, every regret, every failure in our past has been forgiven by God. Every one of them. Every sin, every failure, every regret in your past has already been forgiven. In fact, every, every sin in your future, every, every sin you'll commit today, tomorrow, the day after, has already been forgiven by God. Let's not stay there. And let's learn that whatever guilt you're carrying from that past is not coming from him because it's already been forgiven by him. The guilt is allowing, you're allowing the enemy to say, this is who you are, this is who you've always been, this is who you're always going to be. Deal with it. We're our, we're our own guilt-laden people uh, oftentimes, but every sin, regret, and failure has been forgiven by him, so let's leave that there. What do we need to do about our past? We need to own up to it, as she found. We need to move on from it, as she did, and we need to tell the story of our deliverance, as she did. Those sometimes aren't easy things. Uh, owning up, moving on, and telling the story, but that's what he called her to, that's what he's calling us to, to say, you don't have to stay there. That don't have to rule you anymore. There's a different walk for you. There, there's a, there's, a, there's a, different, a different place for you. I've got design for you and plans for you. You'll never see unless you learn first to let go of that junk that's in your past. It's been forgiven. Leave it there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, I don't know the past of every person in this room, but you do. I don't know what we brought this way with us today, but you do. And so I pray that we'll have the honesty, the transparency, and the courage today to be honest with you, to learn to make this, this day and this place the place where we leave it in the past. Let's make August the 8th, 2021, a place where we look at our past and say, no more. That doesn't define me anymore. I'm not carrying that around anymore. I'm taking that burden and laying it here at this, at this time and place and walking away from it. Now, if we've been a believer more than 15 minutes, we know the devil is going to come after that, us again tomorrow with the truth of this is who you are, this is who you were, it's who you're always going to be. Deal with it. If we choose to believe that lie, it's going to cause us to be stuck over and over and over again, day after day, year after year, decade after decade. But if you give us the courage tomorrow to say, no, that's not who I am, that's not who I've been, and that's not who I have to be going forward, we can gain victory tomorrow, one encounter at a time, one day at a time, one prayer at a time, one conversation at a time, to where we can look up days, weeks, months down the road, years down the road, and see, start to see more victories than failures, start to see our past in the rear view rather than 
living with us in, in, the, in the seat beside us. Start to see our past not affecting us as, as, as it used to anymore, not defining us as it used to anymore, but rather being left there. Let us learn from it. Let us move on. And more importantly, let us learn to tell the story of your deliverance, your design for us by delivering us from our past. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.